Hello, hello. I'm Lindsay Luttrell, and this is Table 5. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. You know, I was thinking about how much joy this podcast brings me, and I think it's, you know, whether interviewing or not, I just thoroughly enjoy conversation. I wasn't voted most talkative in high school for no reason, (laughs) Um, but I just like talking to people, finding out, you know, where you come from, where you're going, and all that happens in the in-between. And obviously this podcast is allowing me to do that. So I'm just, it's so much fun and I, and I love that. But I also think another huge reason I'm enjoying the podcast so much is when I hear from y'all. I released a new episode last week for the first time in a couple months and the support was just overwhelming. I, I got direct messages. I got text messages. People were sharing the announcement of the episode being released and I just can't say thank you enough. And it's so cool when I hear from y'all, everyone was really enjoying that episode. And it makes me feel so happy because obviously I enjoyed it. And it's just fun to kind of put that out there and have people's response. So I wanted to say like, keep the messages coming. I I thoroughly enjoy it. I want to hear what you're liking and what you want to hear more of and, you know, potential guest ideas. So feel free to reach out at any time. I've also kind of been trying to move things over to the Table 5 Instagram. I've always loved to share when I'm out at a restaurant on Instagram anyway, food pics, restaurant pics, if I were to dare to even make something. (laughs) Maybe I'll share that if it turns out okay. So I've been kind of keeping all my food stuff over on Table 5 Pod. So if you're into that kind of stuff, feel free to follow along at Table 5 Pod on Instagram. That's also where the restaurant rec at the top of each pod was kind of, you know, where that kind of came from. Um, You know, I love sharing with people places I love to go, whether local or I've been to that city before or whatever it is. Not that I'm an expert. I just thoroughly enjoy going out to dinner and going out to restaurants. And I appreciate the craft of a chef so much. So that's kind of where that comes from. So with that, my next restaurant rec. Because my next guest currently lives in Spain, it got me thinking of one of my favorite tapas restaurants that's in Healdsburg, California. So my job has taken me to Sonoma County, Healdsburg, Windsor, Santa Rosa area for weeks at a time over the last five years. So I've really gotten to know the area well. And I always love kind of going and seeing what's new and checking out all of that. But there's just something about those tried and true spots. And one of those for me is Bravas in the Healdsburg Square. Travel and Leisure actually called it one of the top 20 tapas restaurants in the U.S. And while I have not been to all the tapas restaurants in the U.S., I do feel like it's got to be up there. For me, it's like all about the back patio. I love going there sitting outside day or night. They have like an upper deck. They have a patio. They have a big like open bar area, high top tables, regular tables with umbrellas. It's just, it's just kind of dreamy back there. The service is always a 10 out of 10. They know the menu. They're friendly. You know, service can make or break a meal and they always get it right in my opinion. So the menu is obviously Spanish tapas. 
And I really feel like they have something for everyone. And outside of the tapas, they have paellas and fried chicken if you're looking for bigger portions. And the fried chicken is so good. It's really so good. And it comes with this very delicious bread. I, of course, have never gone and not ordered the patatas bravas because I've never met a potato I don't like. And I'm a firm believer in table fries. And I always end with the hot rum balls. And I don't know how to describe them. It's like beignet meets donut slash heaven. I don't know. They're, they're, they're so good. So just trust me on that one. They also have a great selection of wine, which is a very important factor to a meal for me. Um, they have tons of local wines, which makes sense considering they're in Sonoma County, but they also have some really good Spanish wines. And then of course, a beautiful cocktail menu. So again, something for everyone. It's just, it's a home run for me and it's just adorable. It's owned by Stark's Restaurant Group, which has a ton of great restaurants in that area. So if you're heading to Healdsburg, I promise you will not be disappointed adding Bravas to your list and checking out Stark's Restaurant Group. Okay, my next guest and I were connected through a mutual friend. She is a Southerner at heart, but now living in Spain with her two daughters. She's a mother, a cook, a writer, and cookbook author. We talk about our Southern roots, her journey to Spain, overcoming imposter syndrome, her love of vermouth, and obviously her culinary journey. So please enjoy the fascinating Marty Buckley. Forty-five in San Sebastian, PM. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so bright outside still. <laughs> I know it doesn't get dark till like ten or ten fifteen right now. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thanks so much for doing this on a Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> well, so first, just tell me before we like dive into everything. Like, tell me. So you live in Spain. How long have you been there? You're with your two daughters. Yeah. Are we like tell you like I'm telling you recording? Like, yeah. We're going. Okay. Oh, we're going. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I've lived in Spain for about 12 years now. Um, I came with one small daughter and now I have two daughters, a large one and a small one. <laughs> oh my God. That's so exciting. Okay. And so how, so 12 years ago, you said? Yeah. Oh my God. Wild. Okay. So before I like, we'll come back to Spain, but um, I'm excited because we've only just met through our dear mutual friend, Jim Patton. We love you, Jim. Um, and so I feel like I've only spoken to you obviously very briefly. So I'm getting to know you with everyone else who's listening. So I'm excited for that. So I'm going to just start from the beginning. So you were born, no, I'm kidding. Um, so tell me, so you're from, we both have like the Southern roots in common. You're from Birmingham. Tell me about like born and raised in Birmingham, like siblings, what'd your parents do? Like, give me the lowdown. Yeah, well, I actually lived kind of all over the South, which is partly why I don't have any kind of Southern accent. Um, I was born in Alabama, but we lived in, in Florida. I spent several years in New Orleans, and we finally moved back to Birmingham, which is where my family is from. 
um, when I was in middle school. So I really feel like I'm from Birmingham, um, but I went to college in Louisiana, Louisiana State University as well. So um, I guess I'm just a Southern person. <laughs> yeah, you have it all. I'm obsessed with New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's like my favorite yeah. city and just so cool. No, I was just going to say it's one of my favorite places in the world as well. It's just the best. It's so special. It's so special. It's such a, I always say people, I used to think I'd always move back there, like move there if I was going to live in the South. I used to always say, I think I'll end up in New Orleans. And, you know, I don't know how much I feel that anymore, just as I've been here for so long now. (laughs) It's like, I feel like this is home, but I just love it. It's such a Southern city, but based on like tradition versus like, you know, other Southern traits. (laughs) Such a fun, you know, authentic. It's such an authentic city. Yeah, that's so funny you say that because I always say if I ever move back, it would probably be to New Orleans. Um, it's just like a place where you, for me, it is kind of similar to here, to Spain. It's like one of the only places in the States where people are going to sit down and have like alcohol at lunch and eat for several hours. And, you know, that's kind of why I love it too. Yeah, for sure. It's such a, um, it is very European. In fact, I had a friend go recently and he was like, it's so European. I'm like, I know mm-hmm. it's very cool. It's a very cool city. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love that. So is your family in Birmingham still? Yeah, yeah, everybody's still in Birmingham, Alabama. And do you have siblings? Yes, I have two siblings. I have a brother who is uh, 34 now and a sister who is turning 30 this year. Um, So I'm the oldest. Oh my gosh, and how old are you? Uh, 37. Yeah, I'm 38. Um, (laughs) Fun, do they come out to Spain a lot? They do. They would come every year until COVID happened. Um, My sister would come and help me like take care of the the kids during the summer, which is really cool. Um, But yeah, I have yet to lure them back here since COVID kind of (laughs) messed everybody's lives up. But yeah, they'll come soon. Oh my gosh. Um, So are you one of those, like, I've always been like really proud of being from the South. Like I'm kind of like, I love like the traditions and the family values and just the hospitality and the manners. Like I'm, my mom the other day was like, I didn't know that you were just so proud of the South when you're in LA. I'm like, what are you talking about? I love being from the South. Like, I mean, I, anytime someone asks where I'm from, I'm like, I'm from the South. Um, but are you one of those like Southerners who's like, oh, thank God I got out of the South or can you appreciate <laughs> what it was? I always, I'm always curious with Southerners if they're like, oh, or if they're like, no, I'm of course, I just don't live there anymore. <laughs> well, to answer your question, I feel like I should be bankrolled by the state of Alabama because I'm constantly like saying that everybody here needs to go visit it. I berate people who only go to New York city or to California I am like, listen, you're missing the best part of the United States. You need to take a road trip. You need to start in Birmingham, go to the Civil Rights Museum, go down through do, through the beach and head over to Louisiana and back up to Nashville. I'm like, give them the whole route that they need to do. So yeah, oh, I, I love like that. I'm, I'm owed some money. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You're like, if they only knew. <laughs> yeah. I'll get the state of Alabama to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah I, I I um I love Birmingham I think I said that to you on the phone with you the other day I'm like Birmingham anytime I'm in Birmingham I remember how beautiful it is it's just like rolling hills and like beautiful mm-hmm. trees and everything's canopying over the street I'm just like who knew I mean I guess I knew I've gone my whole life but yeah yeah I don't think people expect that um because it's been such a sleepy place um, I remember like reading about, you know, a little bit about the history of it one time and seeing that like back in the middle of the 20th century, they were deciding where to put 
the big international airport and Atlanta put up more of a fight. And that has just been like the defining, you know, thing for Atlanta, which has become this huge metropolis, cement everywhere, you know, can't drive anywhere at tra uh, traffic, uh, peak traffic times. And Birmingham has stayed like this kind of sleepy, but not really sleepy if you are there. Like it's not booming, it's not out of control, but it's just a really nice place to live and it's really pretty and it's livable. Um, so I'm happy like that it's kind of, is as beautiful and amazing as it is, but it's also like, I feel like it doesn't get its due a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, it would have changed my life drastically in a very good way if Birmingham had gotten the airport, just because <laughs> yeah. it's so much easier for me to fly directly into Birmingham to go to most places I need to go when I'm going home. Yeah. But um, I also agree, like, I'm glad that it stayed the way that it is because it is. Yeah. And even now it has such a food scene and a, a city scene in a, in a very small way that is so beautiful like I feel like it just every time I go there's new restaurants that are amazing and it feels city-like but still everything you love about being in a small town well, definitely I mean the food scene that's like kind of where my journey began um, in Birmingham because the, the first place I ever stepped foot into a professional kitchen was at one of Frank Stitt's restaurant which is Bottega his Italian meets Alabama farm to table place and it was a pivotal moment in my life and working there for the few years that I worked there really made me realize like we had one of the South's South, like grandfathers of Southern cuisine like in our hometown and he's just so many people pass through his three kitchens and those people then go on to open their own restaurants and they literally have you know the same producers that they learn to use at Frank's places and it's just kind of created this uh, food scene with like a really high bar so it's really cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So, I mean, obviously you started working with Frank, but was food kind of always a part of your life? I mean, I know as Southerners, like food is the focus of a lot of things, but yeah. uh, in a sense of like, were your parents cooking like really good food and like you've always been interested? Were you always cooking growing up or did it kind of fall into your lap? Well, I was always interested. My parents weren't cooking that good of food. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> but no, my mom, you know, she was just doing what she had to do to feed everybody, you know, like relying on maybe like processed or canned stuff a lot of the time. Um, my dad actually picked up cooking a little more when we lived in New Orleans. He became like an aficionado and started, you know, cooking Cajun and Creole cuisine. So that was kind of like where things kind of woke up a little bit in the household. But yeah, within what I knew, I loved cooking. You know, I would make like Oreo pies and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I kind of got out of my house that I realized there was this whole world of fresh food that could be made. And that was just, um, that really like kickstarted my love for food. Yeah, I always say like, I didn't know I mean, it was like, we grew up on casseroles and like burgers yep. and, you know, grilled chicken. And yep, if we yep. were having a vegetable, it was like doused in butter. Like, I didn't know that like, <laughs> you could just eat broccoli, like with a little olive oil and some salt and some lemon zest. Like the thought yeah. didn't, that just wasn't a thing. And my mom was the same. Like she was working, yeah. had three kids, well, eventually four. And then, you know, my dad was like the man of the grill. My mom would make the whatever. And it just like, that's what it was. I didn't oh, yeah, know I any of that either. Yeah, I remember at my house, like, I think we had the same bottle of olive oil for like five or, or more years. And it was like hidden in the back of the pantry. And, you know, like every now and then maybe I would make a recipe that called for it. I'd be like, mom, like, where's the olive oil? And like, it's so crazy because I, at my house now, go through like a bottle a week and it's yeah. right there and I grab it for several times a day, you know, it's so funny. Oh, that is hilarious. Um, 
Yeah. I, I was wondering, do you ever make like Southern recipes for your friends in Spain or are they like, what is this? All the time. I mean, all the time. Like, and I do it not just like to show people, but also just cause that's like, sometimes, you know, it's like, want to eat that. So yeah. I make, um, I've managed to find like some great ingredient substitute. Actually, when we first moved here, I don't know how this happened, total destiny moment, but I go downstairs from our first apartment and like turn the corner and there's this kind of little green grocer looking place. So I go in and I'm like, I see okra and I'm like, oh, okra. And then I see like some black eyed peas and I'm like, oh, black eyed peas. And I didn't even know enough to know that that's crazy here. But um, I later found out that it was an African store and you know, all those foods that we eat in the South that we eat because of the link to Africa and the right. trade and everything. And so that was just like, so cool. So I have like a source for these kind of foods. And then I found, you know, kind of like the closest substitute to andouille and make jambalaya and make gumbo in the winter time. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's, um, you know, we're just lucky. We're just lucky to have lived and been brought up right. Exactly. I'm like, I have the best of both worlds. I like know the Southern delicacies and now I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know? It is the best because like from the outside, the South is indecipherable, much like where I live now. It's like, it's just, you can't understand it. You really can't. But from the inside, there's a lot of things that you can appreciate. And things that if you leave, you can appreciate even more. So even more. Yeah. That's yeah. so, that's so true. Every time I go home, I'm just like, oh, so simple and lovely here. Not yeah. even, I always say this, like not simple in a bad way. Like I'm not knocking it. It's just like, you remember how like nice and like, you know, which I think is also just like being an adult. And you know, when I'm here, my whole life is happening. And when I'm there, I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm just at my parents' house sitting on the dock. It's a totally yes. different vibe, but yeah, yeah it's, oh, I know I do have a fondness for it. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So tell me about Frank. So what made you go, obviously food was always part of your life, but what made you decide like, I'm going to go work in a restaurant and how old were you? Well, so this all came about because, um, I guess you could say it started when in college, when I did a six month study abroad in Spain. And that was another like defining moment for me. Um, Fortunately, like I was overruled. I wanted to go to Madrid because I had no idea what I was talking about. And the program put me in this smaller, much smaller town called Pamplona, which is like famous for the running of the bulls and Ernest Hemingway and stuff. And so it was amazing. And being there really gave me that wider view of what food can be and a different culture, also a different landscape and a different way of living and just really opened my eyes. And so when I came back from that, I was really became like a full on, like, you know, I hate to say it, but this was 2005. So it wasn't as bad, a foodie. <laughs> and uh, and so, so I was like, I was like cooking pasta from scratch in my like dorm kitchen and stuff like that, like really into it. And so, so then I graduated college. I got my first job out of college, which was working at Southern Living Magazine in the editorial department. And that was great. But then I got pregnant. I had my daughter and I was at home with my daughter for about a year and just got really antsy, you know? I mean, I was 23 and I was like, okay, I want to start working now. <laughs> and so I was like, hmm, I like food. Maybe I'll see what it's like to cook in a kitchen. And so I had a friend, one of our best friends was working behind the bar at Bottega. And he was like, yeah, I can get you like a stage, you know, just like one night in the kitchen to see what's up. And so I borrowed a chef's coat, I borrowed a knife and I went and pretty much had like the worst night of my life. <laughs> Wait, why was it the worst night of your life? Oh my God. Um, You're well, just like a fish out me, of water? 
Yeah, I mean, it was really scary. Like in a kitchen, you know, the heat is on, like literally it's so hot, you're sweating, sweat is pouring from <laughs> like your armpits. And then um, everybody is like, you know, shouting orders and um, moving really quickly. You don't want to get in people's way. I thought I knew how to like do things like pick parsley and chop onions. I found out I did not know how to do those things. Yeah. Uh, just everything. And so that night um, I managed to survive. I was like walking out of the kitchen and just kind of taking this mentally off my bucket list forever. Like, okay, great. I did a day in the kitchen. I don't ever have to go back. And then the chef de cuisine came out after me to say like, thank you for coming. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you're like, peace, like, bro. Yeah, bye. <laughs> and he was like, well, come back anytime. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was like, like tomorrow. And I was so nervous that I said yes. And so, and so I had to go back the next day and ended up kind of continuing to go back. And they hired me after a couple of weeks. So I, that started my career in the kitchen. Oh my gosh. I love that. You were like, Excellent. okay, yeah. Never see you again. Okay. See you tomorrow. <laughs> God, it was, it was so hard. I was just so nervous. And that the whole time I worked there, I worked there for about two, um, two years. And the whole time I worked there, I mean, I would go to work. I never like, didn't have like some sort of butterflies just because it's such a fast paced environment and it's so intense and there's like, it feels like the stakes are really high. So yeah, for sure. I mean, I actually agree with that because I get butterflies every time I start a new show, even though I've been doing this for so long and I'm like, I know how to interview. I know how to floor produce. I know the step. I've been with the same company even like, it's not even different company and I get butterflies like, all right, here we go. Like <laughs> what, what could happen? Um, so what made you like when you went back the second time, which bravo for not like going home and being like, I don't know why I said yes. And like calling in, I feel like other people would have been like, well, that was weird. I'm just going to tell them I'm not coming or never show up because you have no loyalty at that point. So what made you a go back and then tell me how long did you stay there? And what was it like? Yeah, I don't know why I went back. I guess I just felt like I kind of had said that I would, or maybe I didn't have like any way to get in touch with them. Like maybe, I don't know, but um, yeah, I went back and and I, you know, it was always scary, but the atmosphere in Frank's Kitchens is really great. I mean, it's high pressure, just like any kind of fine dining kitchen is, but it's all about like, if you, if you are doing your job and you're doing your best, like, it's not going to be like a Gordon Ramsay kind of situation with screaming. Right. And stuff. Um, it just felt like every day felt kind of like a new discovery, you know, like, seeing really incredible produce come in with the person who made it or you know learning to do something new and something really satisfying about doing that new thing you know 50 times in the same night and feeling like you really kind of perfected it um yeah and I just really kind of um loved as well at this time I was also freelance writing still and I just loved how this job kind of complemented that life because it was just like, go, 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 go for over eight hours, physical exhaustion. But then like my mind was left like really clear, you know, to, to do my more like mental writing work. And so still to this day, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should go back cooking because it feels like it would be the kind of thing that would leave my mind like really clear to do, to do writing and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it ended up just being such a, a positive job. I'd probably still be there if I hadn't moved here. So yeah. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. So when, how long did you end up staying there? I was there for a, a, about two years. Yeah. And you were writing the whole time in a freelance form, like for, for who, like Southern living, I think you said, or. 
Yeah, yeah, I did some stuff for Southern Living, um, some local uh, magazines, uh, just like, yeah, mostly probably local and regional at that time, magazines and newspapers as well. So. Oh, cool. Tell me about your writing. Was that like you were obviously writing about food? Yeah, at that time I was writing a little bit about food, maybe some travel stuff, which is more or less what I do now. Um, yeah, restaurants, going to do interviews in that world. So yeah, it was mostly that kind of kind of work. And how did you get into that to start with? I mean, obviously, did you major in English or writing or, okay. Yeah, that was kind of a, a roundabout way as well. I went to college thinking I was going to become an architect, <laughs> but I only lasted about a year in that. And then I switched over to journalism, um, which was fine, but I didn't really enjoy like what I was actually studying, you know, mass comm, there's like all kinds of other kind of political science stuff and I was just like kind of meh about it and so yeah. after, after I did my study abroad I like looked at my credits I was like how do I get out of college in four years and I was like English degree and so I just went with an English degree and it's really funny because I feel like I'm like one of the few English majors that actually use their degree so I know about to say anyone who uses their degree is always pretty surprising to me it's <laughs> crazy oh cool um, that's so interesting. So when you left Frank, did you immediately move to Spain? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, that was another like huge stroke of luck. Um, and before I would go to work every day, I would usually stop at like a coffee shop and write for an hour or so on whatever project I was working on. And so I was doing that one day and this girl that I hadn't seen in about six or seven years from high school came in and I was like, Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? And she was like, I'm horrible. And like, that's not quite the response that you expect. And especially not in Alabama, you know? And especially not <laughs> someone you haven't seen in selling. You're like, no, no, that was rhetorical. Just keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, but so of course I was caught off guard and I was like, oh, oh, like what's wrong? And she was like, I just got back yesterday from Spain. I've lived there for a year. I don't want to be back. And I was like, oh my God, tell me everything. Like, how did you do that? Where were you? Tell me everything. And she told me about her experience here and she had done a program that gave her you know the visa she needed to be here and since I had studied abroad in Pamplona I had just come back and been totally obsessed with Spain and the Basque country for those four or five years like I was just so annoying like I would drink Spanish wine and listen to Spanish music and watch Spanish movies I was just obsessed and I really wanted to go back and so from that random meeting I found a way to get back here Oh my gosh. I love that. You're like, I was so annoying because it's like, you're like, I know this is annoying, but I'm diving. I'm leaning in. Like I was, I do that every time I get back from somewhere, I'm like whether it's Australia, Italy, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it until the next trip. Uh, yeah. I feel like this was, you know, back in like 2008 and like Instagram didn't even exist. I feel like now, you know, these like memes and videos come out and you realize that you were just like a stereotype. Yes. <laughs> But back then I was just kind of like, yeah, I just kind of like Spanish stuff. I'm going to do that all the time. So, oh my gosh, I love that. Um, <laughs> so then when she was filling you in, were you just like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm going back. I'm making it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I looked at that um, program that she did and I like waited to apply a few months. I applied. I waited a few months to hear her back and, you know, had to work on convincing my then husband to let, let us go for what was going to be a year. And so once all that like um, kind of came through was when I told Frank and put in my notice and wrapped up our lives in Birmingham. So you moved with your husband and what, how old was your baby? 
She was two and a half. To Spain. And you were like, I'm just going to go for a year. Yeah. It felt, it's like, it sounds so crazy, but it didn't feel like that crazy because it, we thought it was going to just be kind of this year. Um, my husband was a touring musician. So it was kind of like, you're not going to be there. So it doesn't matter where we are. Right. And you know, so it, was, it just felt kind of like a really extended vacation. Um, it felt manageable at the time. And then we just kind of came and loved it, of course, and ended up prolonging it for a year, prolonging it for another year. And that's kind of when things sort of spiraled. <laughs> Uh-oh. I mean, like, you know, like it just like, we were like, okay, we're never coming back. <laughs> yeah. So um, when you moved, I mean, I feel like any decision that doesn't feel um, like indefinitely is so much more manageable. So like, I totally understand, like when you think there's a time limit, you're like, yeah, we can do this. Who cares? When you started approaching like past, like almost getting up to the year where you like, just like did panic set in because you just didn't want to go. Like what made you realize like, I'm not leaving? Yeah, well, it, it just went by so fast, you know, it was, um, it was amazing. You kind of are like, what's going on for the first couple of months. And then it's like, it was, then it was Christmas. And then we were like, you know, really kind of getting used to things and used to life here. And then the weather started getting good and we we're like, oh, don't, you know, we don't want to go. And, and it was pretty easy to renew and to prolong it for another year. So we just kind of, we did that. And it just, it's like inertia, really. Like you look back, people are like, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? But I look back and it's just like, it feels like it was kind of inertia. Yeah. You're like, I just did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So what was the program? Like, what were you able to say you were doing or go do? Did you have to have like a job, a, a internship? Like what was the program? Yeah, so this is a really awesome program that Spain, the Spanish government does, and it's called Auxiliares de Conversación, which means like conversational helpers. Oh, and, cool. um, Yeah, and so they get native English speakers to come um, in mass, and they place you in every kind of school, from kindergartens to high schools to universities to like official language schools. And you kind of give students like an hour or two of conversational English to complement their like more textbook studies. And what it does in exchange is gives you a visa that you need to be here and like a small stipend um, that in most places in Spain is enough to live off of as a young person. Um, San Sebastian is the most expensive city in Spain. So it was kind of a rude awakening as well. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so yeah, but it's a really cool program. And honestly, it's genius on the part of Spain because it creates like this army of Americans that are obsessed with Spain and will always remember the year that they spent there and get their parents, you know, at least five people come and visit them. All right. There. It's a huge economic engine. They must have made their money back, you know, a bajillion times. So. Yeah. So did you choose San Sebastian or were you placed there? And that's when you were like, okay, I'm going there. Well, yeah, this was a little bit sneaky on my part because um, San Sebastian is about an hour from where I studied. And I had done, you know, a couple weekend visits back when I was studying abroad. And I still remember like the first time that I kind of rolled up on the bus station and you just kind of walk out of the bus station and you walk down this beautiful, like wide, peaceful river that's lined with trees and beautiful buildings. Oh. And it's just like, wow, where am I? And then you kind of waltz into like a bar in the old part of town. And I still remember like the first one that I walked into and the countertop is just covered in snacks and you just go and grab a snack and eat it and drink wine <laughs> and then pay like $2. And I was like, oh my God, this place is paradise. I'm never, I never want to leave. <laughs> and so for the, for the program, I sort of wrote like a little letter, put, please put me in, in San Sebastian if possible. And so, oh my, my gosh. 
I love that. So what was that experience like, like doing the conversational English and, you know, being a, a tutor, like supplemental tutor, basically? Yeah, it was, I mean, it definitely wasn't something that I was like interested in doing in my life, but I always look back on it with like so much fondness because to be honest, like some classes were really horrible. They didn't speak good English. I was giving it to like juniors and seniors in high school. And so oh wow, they didn't speak some of them any English, like the worst classes, you know? And so I basically learned how to like talk to a wall and <laughs> like have an okay time doing it. So for that, I really feel like it kind of helped my public speaking abilities and, you know, got me kind of out of um, my comfort zone. And so for that, I'm thankful. It was also like a really interesting way to be introduced to the culture of a new place, um, not just kind of with people your own age and not just um, in like the surface level. It was like day to day with 16, 17, 18 year olds. So that was actually really also another fascinating part of it. Yeah, I bet. So as a word that we don't like to say foodie who got to like go back to Spain. What was that like? I mean, did you instantly immerse yourself in the food scene? Did you ever even think about working in a restaurant there or did you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, ugh, it's, it was just heaven. It was heaven. It was like, I guess, kind of like an onion, you know, like so many layers to this place because there's plenty of people and you can easily come to San Sebastian and just stay in like a one square block and eat amazing food for like three days, you know, and, and not want anything, not want for anything. Um, and so like the first, you know, few months we were here, it was very much like being in the old town, eating pinchos, like, you know, going to the same places over and over again. Um, but then like, as you stay longer and as I stayed longer, I really got to know the life outside of that kind right. of more like touristy and also more traditional part of town, you know, get to know the more traditional cuisine that the locals eat and also, you know, make friends from here and have them kind of, you know, peel the layers back for you and show you their, their homes or in the case of here, take you to a, a dining society, which is like this really unique Basque phenomenon where they're basically like these rooms that have a professional kitchen and they have like several like long tables and people are members and they come and cook food that they bring with them and just invite their oh, friends. I love to that. Yeah. Really cool. Really amazing. Oh, that's so fun. So did, is this when your blog started? Is this like the, or did your blog start in Alabama? Yeah, I had actually started my blog back in 2007 before I before I moved here. Just as like this was so early, I think I had it on like blog blogger or blogspot or whatever it was. But um, I just wanted a place to put the recipes that I was like trying and liked, so it was pretty random. And then when I got here, I obviously started writing about like things that I saw and tasted here because part of me like when I was in the States pining to be in Spain, I got like gobbled up everything I could find. I was like so obsessed with like anything, knowing about what it was to live outside of the States. And I really wanted to be that person like for my, my former self, you know? So I just wanted to write, you know, all of the name details, all of the amazing meals. And, you know, for whoever was out there kind of wanting the same thing, be that person. And so the blog sort of turned into like more of this, like what it's like to be an expat and living in San Sebastian and where to eat. And, you know, fortunately for me, I just happened to be in like one of the world's best eating cities. So. Yeah. Lots to write about. Yeah. And so yeah. you still have the blog? Yeah, I still have it. I'm, you know, you can always tell like when I'm working on a big project because I'll post maybe like once a month or something, 
but I have, you know, I have like a, like a hundred things that I want to post. I just don't have as much time anymore. Yeah. 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 And so did the blog lead to the cookbook? In a way, um, in a way, the blog, what it did was like, kind of give me a little bit of, I guess, um, name around town, you know, not that people from here were like reading it, but like nobody here. I mean, if, if blogs were still kind of kicking off then or social media, like here in Spain where everything's like a little bit more behind, um, it was, nobody was writing anything on the internet about San Sebastian. So, you know, people like, oh, like that's the girl who's like wrote about this restaurant. And like, I'll never forget, this is hilarious. There's this, there was this kind of really not, not exceptional place that was in the mall of all places but it was the only place in town that was making like nachos and like Tex-Mex type yeah yes yeah and so I made sort of like um a post about it just like funny like this is where you can go and get that kind of food in San Sebastian and I went there one day and my blog article was printed out and framed in their restaurant (laughs) that is too good God. And like, it's just so funny because throughout my journey of like, you know, different dreams coming true, like often when you have the results that you've been waiting for forever, there's kind of like this anticlimactic feeling. And it's these weird, small things that give you like so much satisfaction. And that was definitely one of them. Like, oh my God, a silly blog article, like in a frame in a restaurant. Oh, that's so sweet though. Hilarious. It's a little thing. Life is so funny like that. I know. I was just in Italy and I was, you know, like a weekend. I was there for 18 days. And I just remember looking at my boyfriend. I'm like, I need a taco. Like, I need a good, like, street taco. Like, I cannot go that long without Mexican food. Yeah. yeah not in my makeup. No, I know. And it's funny. It's, it is. It feels like it's something subconscious or like genetic or almost because I feel the same way. Just like after a while, you just yearn for even some here, like some good Italian food or Mexican, yeah. spicy. Yeah. It's hard to eat the same thing every yeah. day. <laughs> um, I have more I want to ask you about Spain, but I do want to ask, because you just said that about the the blog post being framed. Like, is there a moment that you can think of as like your... I've made it moment or like that moment where you're like, oh, I've turned this like passionate life into a career or like, is there, did you have any of those like, aha, as Oprah would say, or like, you know, I think it's hard for anyone to say I've made it, but you know what I mean? Like any of those moments where you're like, oh, this is it. Like I'm doing it. Yes. And no, I mean, I guess like one of the biggest moments like that would definitely be when I was on the phone with the editor that I'd been pitching this book and she was like, well, okay, we, we tried some of the recipes and we're going to offer you a book deal. And I was just like, what, you know, like what, what, you know, it was just like this moment that I just could then imagined in my wildest dreams. But, but other than that, like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like that moment has yet to arrive as well because I still have, you know, supplemental jobs, you know, I don't make my full living writing and so yeah, I still feel like I'm getting there, which is so funny because people, I talk to this about, talk to people um, about this feeling like close friends and stuff. And they're like, but what do you mean? Like you're so accomplished. And you're just like, yeah, I know. But I just feel like, you know, I'm still not there yet. So, yeah. There's so much more. Yeah. I guess that's the, um, I guess, but there's been so many smaller, like micro moments, you know, like the first time I was behind the scenes at like a, you know, world's 50 best restaurant 
Um, being on like a TV show in Basque Country, I was on a, this like cooking competition show for a season as a judge, like stuff like that, like those micro moments for sure. Like, yeah, they might not be, you know, paying all the bills, but like, they're so cool. They're so cool. Yeah. So how do you think you got to the point where you could like, you know, write a, write a cookbook, like what accolades or what experience or like, how did you get there? That's such a good question because I felt I knew that this cookbook was was needed. I knew because I was that freaky obsessed person, like I told you, and I had read everything about Basque Country and everything about Spain. And there just um, wasn't that much, especially about right. this region. And the food is so strong. The tradition is so strong. The people are just this incredible culture that has been around for thousands of years, untouched almost. And so it was just like, why isn't there anything about this? But I did, I moved here and I, started realizing, you know, there's so much more to this than I even know about. And so like, while I knew that this book needed to exist and I was a cook and a writer. And so I thought, you know, maybe I can do this. I sort of shelved the idea for like about four years just cause I felt so kind of unworthy of it, of the project. Right. And, you know, it wasn't easy for me to do that. Like I was, you know, having not constant anxiety by any means, but just like every now and then I'd think about it and I'd be like, oh my God, I hope somebody doesn't come from like New York and be here for two weeks and write this book, you know? <laughs> so, but then after I was here for a while and, you know, I had built up like a pretty steady stream of freelance writing and different magazines. Um, I really, I guess the thing that gave me the most confidence um, to write the book was, kind of just feeling like I really knew what was going on and like knew a lot about the food culture. I had tried, you know, a ton of dishes and been all over the different provinces. And, you know, and also just seeing like out there how people still didn't really understand what Basque food is, mm -hmm. didn't really know much about the region. It's like, okay, come on, Marty, like English speaking, like cook and writer, like nobody else knows them as much about this region. And is so like, yeah, kind of poised to be able to write like a cookbook. So that was kind of after about four years here, like when I decided to take the plunge and just, you know, write, write a proposal and start to shop it around and see what happened. But it wasn't a decision I took lightly by any means. No, it's like, I relate to that so much just with this podcast. Like I have always wanted to do, I mean, for years, now, I mean, I, I did it in January. So before that it was almost like four years and I would, I had only talked about it with very few people and for the longest time, just one. And I would just be like, I would think the same thing. I'm like, I don't want someone to like do this. And like, what if someone does it? And then I've just been sitting on this idea, but I never was like, why I would always say like, why me? Like, why am I going to go do it? And my friends would be like, why, but like, why not you? And it took so long and like so much you know, sweeping away insecurities, like make it happen. But I relate to that feeling so much of like, when you were like, I don't want someone to come from New York for two weeks and write it. Cause I would do the same thing. I'm like, Oh no, like I should just do it. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But at least I tried, you know, cause you're like, I don't want to watch someone else do it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, you know, I think that feeling of imposter syndrome, like never fully goes away, especially for maybe women. And yeah. I also think that it helped, like, as you grow older and you meet a ton of different people, you come across people who don't know and shouldn't be doing stuff, but they're doing it anyway. And so yeah. you're like, okay, like part of this is just showing up. And like, finally, it's also like a timing thing, you know, like if I had really forced the issue with the book at, at, at the beginning, I wouldn't have had as many bylines. I wouldn't have, right. you know, TV. I wouldn't have had like, 
I didn't even have an Instagram when I first moved here, which is really important in the publishing industry. And so timing is important too. And it's like, sometimes you need to sit on those ideas before they see the light of day. Yeah. I was having this conversation the other day with a friend too, who has had another idea of hers for years and it's just now starting to get legs. And she's like, I mean, I could have done this three years ago. She's like, but I knew that for it to be done right, I needed to wait. And she's in her like mid twenties. And I'm like, how are you so, how are you so much smarter than I was in my mid twenties? But it like, it's so true. My mom always says timing's everything like everyone else. But, you know, I grew up with her always saying that. And I just remember it feeling the same way, even when I started, like kind of just like, oh yeah, this is why I started now because I have all these things that like make me feel like confident enough to do it. But I also feel like there's people, like there's a fitness girl that I follow on Instagram who people ask her all the time, like, how do I start a fit? Like, I want to start a fitness page and whatever, but everyone's already doing it. And she's like, yeah, I'm not the only fitness influencer. Like go do it, start it. Like there, there can be more than one. Um, so yeah, that's just an interesting I relate to that so much. Yeah, um, and, and I think like too, I mean, I still have this feeling a lot about other projects that I want to do. And I think, you know, everybody has kind of a unique voice. It sounds like something like a teacher might say to like coddle, you know, a young child, but no, I think like your voice is just a little bit unique and might, you know, say something in a, in a certain way that nobody else would. And I just right. think, the it's just kind of out there waiting to be claimed like these ideas and creativity and so just like go for it yeah yeah and like you don't know who it's going to speak to so just go put it out there um okay so then tell us like what is what is bass like the people the language i mean do you speak the language do people still is that language very popular there yeah yeah it's a it's a big deal it's like um, this region, so Basque country is basically a small region kind of in the north east of Spain and the southwest of France. It encompasses both um, countries. And it's basically a region in which everyone speaks the same language, which is Basque, um, which is a language that dates back thousands of years. Literally nobody knows where it comes from. It has no similarities to any other language in the world. Um, so it's just kind of like this kind of insular, like in a vacuum language. Um, and so everybody here speaks the same language and they also share genetic traits. Um, there's like a definite kind of Basque look, whether it's like the ears or like the nose or the complexion. And so it's just a very definite culture. That said, like with the creation of Spain as a country and France as a country, this region got sort of uh, split up and divided and placed under the rule of other countries. And so what that has done has, actually it's done a lot of things over, you know, several hundreds of years, but um, over the last century or so, it really resulted in like, um, kind of like a really an endangerment of this culture because, right. uh, you know, everybody knows in the 20th century, there's like a huge problem with fascism and dictatorship in Europe. And so in this region in Spain in particular, they were forbidden from speaking Basque because it like went against, you know, the Spanish nationalist state. And so you have people like there's a certain demographic here, which is like older middle age people that might not speak any Basque because it was forbidden. Like you oh. heard speaking it. But and people so, do still speak it now. Like it's just yeah, there's certain generations that have been like. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, so what happened was like, after the dictatorship ended in the late 70s here, um, it sort of came back with a boom, you know, 
with in a good way and in a bad way there was this kind of flourishing and this feeling of like let's we want our culture to be you know out in the open again um and so there's a really big movement the language is now in this region it's like an official it's a dual official language so like every form that you fill out from the government is in basque and spanish everything has to be in basque and spanish um so oh, it's like wow. equal, yeah it's like equal now and there actually the school system there's kind of three different kinds of schools, one of which is Basque only, one is Spanish only, and the other one is a mix. And like 90% of the schools are Basque only. So it's really, I mean, it's back with a bang. People love it. The further out, if you go to the capitals, like San Sebastian and Bilbao and Victoria, you might hear like more Spanish, but all it takes is like a 10 minute trip outside the city limits and everybody's, you know, really speaking Basque and it's just such a cool language. Do you know Basque? Um, I know a little bit. <laughs> it's I so crazy because there's like yeah. no similar words to any other language I feel like no no so like I can say um my name is Marty and I live in San Sebastian and if I say that in Spanish it sounds like me llamo Marty eh, vivo en San Sebastian and if I say it in Basque it's uh Marty ni nice Donostian bici nice and so you can see like nothing nothing similar <laughs> nothing is similar it's wild yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's really different. And I also just think it's a really beautiful language from the outside, anybody who has come here. And um, if you look at it on paper, you will know that like there's a lot of T's, a lot of K's, a lot of X's and a lot of Z's, which are kind of like the most abrasive letters in the alphabet. <laughs> and so on paper and listening, it kind of sounds like kind of, it can sound kind of harsh, but it actually I think is a really beautiful language. And the way that it was made, there are just so many cool words. Like they they were a people that were really connected to nature and they still are. And so like the words, the language is very, it feels very organic. So like, um, like what's a good example? Um, like cider is a really popular drink here. Yeah. And in the name for cider in, in Basque is sagarilla, which means apple wine. Oh so yeah. Like, so it's like it's kind of like just like what you would call something like if you landed on earth and and just know, looked at it had, yeah and you only had like a basic vocabulary you would kind of like piece together words and make it and I feel like a lot of times Basque is like that and um and so it's I, I mean it's just incredible language it's incredibly beautiful and it's still like a very vibrant um piece of the culture here that's so interesting is it hard to learn like I imagine without like my boyfriend, when we were just in Italy and he speaks fluent Spanish, he's half Mexican. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it was so easy for him to like, people just thought he was Italian. He'd uh, kind of like speak what he thought was Italian, but with his <laughs> Spanish and like, they we, we next thing I know, I'm like, are you fully just leaving me out of the conversation and speaking in Italian now? Like what's happening? And he's like, I don't know that. I think they think I'm Italian. So I'm just going with it. And I'm like, okay, well I'm over here. Like, uh, can I get a glass of wine? <laughs> you know? And it's like, because he had that, there were so many similarities, but like, how do you even go about learning Basque? Yeah, it's so hard. And my 14 year old, she's 14 now, my older daughter, she grew up in school learning it, like, you know, oh, so cool. every day. And she'll like, look at me, she'll be like, it's easy. I don't understand why you don't get it. But, but I've tried, um, I took like a language learning at a distance class back when I was still in the States for a year. And then I took a year of like adult Basque classes here. And still it's just really hard because the, it's not just that there's different words, it's that the grammatical structure is totally different. So right. like they modify in, in like place prepositions and, and like modifying adjectives like on the end of a word. 
And so, I mean, yeah. it's just forget it. of what you expect. It's yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Wild. That's so cool that your daughter has just been like, I mean, does she even know how cool her life is? She doesn't. I mean, I don't think she does. <laughs> like every now and then I'll be feel catch myself and feel like an ancient person. And I'm like, when I was your age, uh, totally. I never went on an airplane. I didn't stay in a hotel till I was 18, you know? And like, I had to suffer through Spanish, you know? And now she's like fluent in three languages, learning French as well. And, you know, travels across Europe, like on the weekends as if it's nothing. Like, yeah, I can't you? even imagine. <laughs> Oh my God. And you named her Buckley. Yeah. Yeah. That was at the time it was my maiden name. So I love that first name. Yeah. I love that. Um, that's so cool. So she's what English, Spanish, Basque and learning French. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's the coolest person I know. And just like speaks, I know. And she speaks all three of them just perfectly. So it's just, it's not even like, yeah, well I speak. No, she's literally trilingual. Ugh. God, I'm so jealous. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And so, wait, I, I have so many thoughts running through my head. I hope I can remember to come back to the one I want to ask, but I have to ask this first. You were talking about how she just like travels across Europe, you know, are y'all just constantly on the move since it's so accessible there? I feel like I would be, but I don't do that in the States. So maybe I'm just assuming, but like, is that what y'all do on the weekends? Just like hop around? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so part of some of the jobs that I have now um, are in, involve, you know, writing about travel and uh, reviewing hotels. And so, yeah, like we hop around, especially around Spain, um, because here, you know, a flight to Mallorca and the Balearic Islands might be just like 25 euros round trip. So... <laughs> You're so killing just, me. You're actually killing me. No, I know it's a dream. And, and yeah, and it's really easy to pop over to France or to even to Italy. Um, the Bordeaux airport's like only two hours away from us and has great connections all over Europe. So yeah, it's, it's just very accessible and, and it's nice to travel as well. So. And do you go with both the girls? Is your youngest, how old is she? She's two and a half now. Oh, so that's fun. Yeah, no, we both, we all go, but she was born just a few months before COVID. And so of course, like our traveling has been quite a lot uh, limited since she yeah. was born. <laughs> oh my God. That's so fun. I wonder yeah. if your program that took you over there is accepting applications because I may just <laughs> Google it. <laughs> I'm happy for anybody who is inspired because even if you only go for like the on the one year and even if you get stuck in like a weird place, I just feel like it's so enriching and so fun and it gives you kind of like enough of a safety net to, yeah. to be able to justify it and to make it happen. So, I mean, it sounds just like the coolest experience and how lucky for your, for your girls to just be growing up in that, in that world. I mean, they're just so, um, I'm like losing the word I want to say, but exposed. Like they just get to see yeah. so much. Like I also feel like I grew up in a bubble and, <laughs> you know, my parents weren't like flying all over the world with four kids. You know, we were like driving to Tennessee and Alabama and like, you know, totally. which was great. Yeah. I wouldn't change anything for the world, but it's just so funny to think that like, you know, I didn't have a passport at two and a half. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, and like, yeah, there's the whole like glamorous European jet setting on a budget side, but um, also just living here and raising kids is just so relaxed. And like, honestly, when I first moved over here, I'd I had this kind of period of time where I just felt like these kind of worries just like 
rise off my shoulders and like dissipate into the air. Like when I would hear noises at night, like I, at first I'd be like, Ugh. but then I would be like, wait, nobody's here is breaking into my house. Yeah. Nobody has a gun and is going to shoot us. Yeah. Like just kind of this freedom. And like, we were also able to get on the Spanish healthcare system. And so all of a sudden it was like, don't have to have any copay. Don't wow. have to have insurance. Don't have to worry about if I'm going to be seen. And just like, even those two things, really had kind of consumed my subconscious living in America and I didn't even realize it yeah I bet it's like knowing my girls are going to be safe and you know base like their basics will always be covered is just priceless really yeah that's wild so do you think you're there for I mean I hate it when people ask me this question but I feel like I have to ask you (laughs) like when people are like when are you coming back home I'm like I've lived in LA for 16 years like it's the jig it's up. like I live here like I are you asking everyone who moved to Atlanta when they're coming back home like I don't understand <laughs> like yeah. I just live in Los Angeles now and I how about I let you know if I think about moving but <laughs> like I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> yeah I'm like you'll get an update if I decide to leave where I've been since college <laughs> um but when do you I mean do you think you'll be there forever I don't know it's 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 I, yeah, I love it so much. I would, I would hope that I would always have some sort of connection to it, but you know, I'm not sure. I do miss America and I do miss like, you know, friends and family. And I miss, you know, the opportunities that are available there, like work-wise, but at the same time, life here is really comfortable. And, you know, even just getting like a little personal, like I'm here with my daughters, I am single, you know, who the heck knows what could happen, you know, like, um, a Dutch guy could walk through the door tomorrow and, you know, whisk me away to his castle or something. So, I don't know. Anything could happen. Let's put that on the vision board. I'm loving that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So your, your, you, your ex-husband, is he still in Spain? Um, yeah, he actually lives in the Canary Islands and, you know, has his family there. And that's where my older daughter is right now, having a great time with him for summer. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So how close is that to you? Um, well, Canary Islands is actually like really should be considered an African country yeah. because it's like, the coast of Africa and um, it's a pretty long flight, like four hours or so. So it's a pretty much as far as you could get and still be considered in Spain. They're on a different time zone as well, but it's okay. It's, it's, I mean, it's I hate place. to sound ignorant. I don't think, I thought it was Africa. I don't think I thought it was Spain. Yeah. I mean, for some reason it's Spain. Well, for some reason for like colonialization reasons and like uh, spice trade and American ex- exploration, it's Spain, right. but it really is like right off the coast of Africa. So. I've always wanted to go to the Canary Islands. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, your daughter's just summering there. <laughs> I know. Again, she has no idea. <laughs> what a trip. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So going back to Basque, you obviously fell in love with it you live in Basque country and then your cookbook could have been anything, but you're like, it's Basque. Like it, it is interesting that you're like, I'm going to immerse myself in this and write a Basque cookbook. And I mean, how was that experience? Mm, it was, um, let's just say reality hit like really quickly after the euphoric moment of the book deal. You know, it's like, as soon as, you know, the dust settles, you're like, oh my God, I have this huge project ahead of me. Um, not only is it huge, I also really want to do it justice because I live here and I love these people and it's my passion. And so it's like this kind of triple pressure of like getting a big project done, um, doing it right. And, you know, knowing that people here are going to like judge it. And so it was pretty intense. A cookbook is a huge undertaking. And like my, my cookbook, Basque Country, it, um, if you never cook a thing out of it, like you can still spend like hours reading about it because I really wanted to 
tie in everything about you know the cooking culture the pro the produce and where it comes from um, the traditions and the seasonal aspect of it so it has a lot of um, like different smaller essays throughout that kind of situate you because if there's one thing that you can't do it's like pull the cuisine out of the culture here like everything is intertwined the best people live to eat and they talk about eating all the time it permeates like everything every moment of their life and so I wanted to like show people it's not just making a small bite of food and putting it on a piece of bread and you're like eating Basque food no it's like you have to know all the history where these things are from you know the the context for it to really be understood so yeah I was like, gonna say your book is a it's beautiful but I can also I read like I'm reading it like I feel like I can sit down with it and not even be looking for a recipe. I'm just kind of like reading it like a book. Yeah. Totally. Which I think is obviously a beautiful blend of your talents, you know, like being such a good writer and also a food person and like just knowing, you know, so much. Like, what do you call yourself a cook? Yeah, I say cook, cook and author, cook yeah. and journalist. Yeah. yeah obviously, yeah. author and journalist. But like, I'm like, yeah, in the culinary terms, like, I guess it just, it's beautiful. I mean, the pictures are stunning and then your writing is very good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was, that was my goal. And I, I like think, you know, people ask me, is it, does it like, will it tell me where to eat when I go there? And I'm like, actually, I made a concerted or a conscious decision not to mention hardly any restaurants here in this book, because this book was very much, you know, the 100 or actually the 96 recipes that are like most traditional um, kind of stuff, the stuff you would find, like, in your grandparents' house and stuff that people have been making for hundreds of years. And I didn't want it to be, you know, something that would kind of expire or like be dated. And so in that way, it's not like a guide if you're mm -hmm. trying to find like where to eat. But on the other hand, if you read it before you come here, you get like so much more context. You really know what's going on. You can kind of be like, oh, you know, like they're eating this right now because they're fishing these tiny baby squid out um, 50 yards away from us in that bay and you know that you know you know what's going on and you know where these traditions come from so in a way it is kind of a guide for people that are coming here to eat which is like most people that visit San Sebastian you know they've got yeah I mean just to know what like I always want to do that when I'm traveling like what are the locals eating where are they going and like why like it's it's fun to learn those things so I would you know, without you giving me, a, this is my restaurant rec. It's just to know, like, this is the kind of food I want to have. So where do yeah. I go have that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, and actually I'm working, I'm almost finished with my second book now, which is going to focus a lot more on pinchos, which are, you know, the small bites that are so famous from the Basque country. Yeah. And that book actually will read more like a guide because this topic, pinchos, everybody thinks it's been around forever, but actually it's really recent. It came about, you know, in the 20s, 30s, 40s of the 1900s. And so it's a story that has not really been written down. Basque people and Spanish people in general are notoriously bad about like realizing how awesome they are and realizing what they have and like oh my gosh. cataloging it. It's like the opposite of America. Like nobody's really trying to capitalize off of stuff. They're just living their lives and like happy on, in their day to day. And so this whole concept of pinchos hasn't really been 
like explored like the history, like the moments in time. And so this book, I had to do almost all of my research is just like one-on-one interviews with people. And that was, it's been such a cool experience. Oh, and, wow. yeah. and in this book, like almost all the pinchos will have like a, the bar where they were created, like a little story about the bar. Um, and so I'm really excited about this book because it's going to be like totally different, really. That's so exciting. When does the second book come out? It should be out in the fall of next year, fall of 2023. Yeah. How cool. <laughs> And then in the meantime, like, I mean, people can go to your blog and see places that you recommend. I know that you can like type in like Michelin or, you know, like what's the, how do you say the word you said? Pincho? Pinchos. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's your blog is a great resource for actually visiting. Yeah. Yeah. The blog has a lot of recommendations on there. And if you, you know, take like a second to search around, you'll be able to map out like some pretty good Um, places that said like in the past you know with COVID and everything um, like the resurgence after COVID has been pretty intense and there's like a lot of great new places that I'm you know cataloging and need to kind of get on there so yeah there's lots to be explored yeah that's so cool so earlier you had said something about how you travel around and could you you write for travel as well is that something that you're still doing like you'll travel and do like a travel write-up review I guess Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still writing for different outlets about hotels and about, and, you know, travel guides. And, you know, that's basically just kind of the work of a journalist, like pitching to editors and having them accept you and commission a piece. Um, So, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking this week, I was like thinking about how many amazing new places there are. And I was like, I need to be talking to like the, like it's, there's so much to talk about. I need to be like talking to the big guns, you know, like travel and leisure and stuff because um, it's like, San Sebastian is so crazy in the fact that it's a town of 180,000 people. So it's like nothing. It's like so small, but it's so famous. It has, it's constantly vying with Tokyo for the most Michelin stars per person. It's wild. Um, I know it's crazy. And the eating level is so high and it gets so much attention for this village. And so it's such a cool place to live because you're just kind of like, in the pulse of like the global dining society, like I'm friends and neighbors with these incredible chefs and it's just so funny. So St. Sebastian has like an outsized importance really in, in the, in the world. Wow. And how did you, how many people did you say it is? The population's what? 180,000. Oh my gosh. That's like hard for me to even like living in Los Angeles. (laughs) That's like hard for me to even imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. And it's also, apart from being, you know, one of the most expensive cities in Spain, it's also one of the oldest cities in Spain. So there's a lot of like, you'll see it if you come here, like everybody's always strolling, always drinking a little bit of wine, you know, 60 and up, lots of people around like that. So I mean, that's my dream. Yeah, totally. So it's just such a laid back place. I always kind of think about the best capitals, um, the way that you can just tell where you are by how people are walking on the streets. Cause Bilbao is like a bigger kind of bustling metropolis and people are like racing to their jobs and here everybody's just kind of like walking sideways on the sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> what do your parents think of like this life that you've created for yourself? Are they just like, where did she come from? Or are they like, yeah, we love it. That's so, that's so Marty. Oh, I don't know. I think they were very hesitant. My, and honestly, like my whole kind of adult life, just kind of like, what are you doing? You know, like yeah. I, got, I got married really young. I had my first child very young. I started working in a kitchen, which in 2008 was like way less reputable than it has become. In totally. Two. Um, I said I was going to move to Spain. You know, it's like really, I think the 
more than anything, the publication of the book has served to like legitimize myself in my parents' eyes. I hope they don't listen to this. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, she's doing something that we yeah. understand. <laughs> they, yeah, they have like something to show their friends at dinner parties and stuff. Yeah. So. I'm going to ask you um, for anyone who is going to go visit San Sebastian, who, like, what restaurant are you like loving locally that you would be like, if you're coming here, like, this is where you have to go? Okay, I will get to that answer, but I'm going to go around and I'm going to start by saying that's the worst question ever. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many places. God. I mean, there's so many great places. And I know. Like, one of the things that you have to learn about here too is like, this place is known for this. And so you go there. And so you can very well go to like the best restaurants in town and like not order the right thing and just do it all wrong. Oh. So yeah, so like there, but it also depends. There's like here, there's so many different moments for eating. Like there's the moment before the meal where you're just having a snack and that requires like a different place and a different kind of drink. There's the moment of the meal that when you want like a long meal. And so that's like a different kind of, there's the moment for, there's places for when you're like really focused on getting a good wine. And then there's places for when you want like a world-class meal. And so, I, and there's, you know, then there's the dining society. So I just, one of the things I love about oh, here is wow. just how many, um, how many options you have and how many different ways there are to eat. So and many so, experiences. Yeah. In one evening or one lunch or something. Yeah. And it's almost like being part of like a secret society. Like once you start learning these places, cause like if it's sunny outside and the month starts with J, then you should go sit on the terrace at this place, but only order the sardines. Like it's like really just so specific. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I feel like this question doesn't apply to you, but I mean, if you, <laughs> how about if you had to send someone, like if you had to send someone to a place to get like something that you're, is your favorite? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, so I can, I can like, you know, dumb it down a little bit. Like, but yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite pincho bars. So obviously when you come here, you have to have the pincho experience as well as like the Michelin star experience. So the pincho experience, my favorite pincho bar overall, if this were like, you know, the like whole gymnastics event at the Olympics sure. would, be, <laughs> would be Antonio bar, which just kind of has it all. It's like small um run by the same family forever um doesn't look like anything from the outside um but when you go in they have like a bunch of produce on the bar and it's like whatever is in season and so you can get like plates of that cooked up either you know sauteed or fried or however you cook the specific ingredient but then they also have like a couple of basic pinchos on the bar like um they have an amazing spanish tortilla um Spanish omelet which is like you know a standby like I eat at least one a day really mm. and, and then they have like these little toasts that they'll make you in the moment where they like grab you know cured anchovy and put a couple of different green peppers on it and so and then they also have like the hot pinchos which are made in the kitchen to order and tend to be like a lot more elevated right and so for me that place really takes the cake just because it's really like it's got everything pincho wise that you could hope for so that's probably my big tip for <laughs> the generalist. I love that. Um, okay. And then the last part is what we do. It's a quick fire five. Oh Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People either love or hate that like idea of like having to like fire off there first. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask the question, just whatever your quick answer is. Okay. Last meal before you die. 
Um, maybe Recondo, which is a restaurant up here on the hill, and it's like one of the best wine cellars in Europe. So I would get, you know, like a hundred-year-old red wine from La Rioja and sit under the trees on the terrace and have some squid in its ink, which is my favorite Basque dish in there. It's so good. And they get the little baby squid I was talking about that the fisherman brings up to them. So. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, favorite city to eat your way through? Oh, okay. I'm just going to say San Sebastian because it's true. It doesn't matter. I've been here for 12 years. It doesn't matter. It still surprises me, thrills me. It's so fun. I just love it. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, if you weren't in this profession, what would you be doing? Like if you weren't a cook, an author, like you have so many different things. So if you weren't in this profession, what would you be doing? Uh, running a hotel, running a hotel in a sunny place with exquisite interior design and great cocktails. <laughs> totally. What is your favorite cocktail drink beverage? Oh God, um, vermouth in any of its cocktails or just by itself on ice, sweet red vermouth. I'm the one of the world's biggest fans. Oh my gosh. Um, and then do you have any tattoos? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have any. I've always been really pain averse. So that's the primary reason. Yeah. Um, okay. And then because you just brought up vermouth, I actually read about you in my podcast research that you, did you start some sort of like vermouth, like society or something? What did I read about you in vermouth? Yes, you guys all are invited to be honorary members. Um, I started with my friend uh, almost 10 years ago now, the International, so International Society for the Preservation and Enjoyment of Vermouth, um, which basically was just a joke. We wanted to have a party on a Sunday and, you know, here in the middle of the day on Sunday, the drink that you have to drink is vermouth. And so we were like, okay, we're going to serve vermouth. Well, let's like make it like sound really important. And so we like invented this society to sponsor this party. Oh my gosh, and, so, I love we, and we like made like a Facebook page about it. And we were just so weird about it. And it ended up drawing like 60 people that very first one um, that weren't even friends of ours. Like some people drove like three or four hours. And so we were like, wow, there's something here. And so we kept, we started doing these parties around artisan vermouth and with, you know, events, uh, music activities. And it just grew to be this like huge society. Like everybody would come to our events each month. So. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. incredible. Are you still doing it? Yeah, well, we do like stuff every now and then, but we've both kind of gotten so busy with other things. But um, we have an Instagram where we put like, whenever we try new vermouths, we put it up there. It's Vermouth Society. And Spain in general just has so many great vermouths, like over 200. And it's like the capital of the world now for vermouth. And if you guys have never tried like red sweet vermouth on the rocks by itself, I can't recommend it enough. It's such a great drink. Oh, I'm going to go try that because I don't know that I love vermouth. It's not it's not because I don't like it. I think it's that I don't know enough about it. And so mm -hmm. when it's an option, I'm just kind of like too, like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm afraid. So I'm just going to go with what yeah. I know. Ugh, it is so easy to drink. So it's like wine that has been fortified with, and like steeped in like bitter herbs and spices and citrus. And it has like sugar added. So if you get the red sweet vermouth, we don't want to get like the dry kind that you use to make martinis. It's like the red sweet vermouth and just over ice and you're gonna you're gonna be obsessed it's so amazing and if you do go out to eat wherever like if you see you know a spanish one on the menu go for it because um whereas the italians have like larger brands like martini that might not be so good mm -hmm. spain is very pretty like artisan so like whatever vermouth they have from spain is going to be amazing thank you so much for coming on i truly like so happy that you spoke with me so late on a saturday <laughs> 
my pleasure my pleasure it was so fun and i loved um i loved it like i got a lot of different questions that i don't always get this felt like more of a like fun conversation oh thanks that was my goal i appreciate you saying that it was awesome okay bye isn't she cool i just think marty is fascinating she just has such an interesting life and she is exploring all that Spain has to offer with her beautiful daughters. And I'm just like, can we switch places? (laughs) So make sure you are following Marty to be in the know on her new cookbook release and U.S. book tour. You can follow her at Marty Buckley and at Vermouth Society and check out her blog, travelcookeat.com. You know, sometimes I finish these interviews and I instantly think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't ask them that. (laughs) And that happened with me with Marty. One, I cannot believe I didn't ask her about Jose Andres because he wrote a quote in her cookbook and I wanted to know how they know each other and, you know, get her thoughts on how cool it is that he wrote in her cookbook. And I did not. So we'll have to have Marty back on. And then also, I can't believe I didn't ask her about Basque cheesecake. Basque cheesecake is one of my most favorite desserts and I'm just so bummed I didn't like get into that because I know there's an art to it and it's very specific. But Marty has so graciously offered to share her recipe with us from her cookbook. So be sure you are following along at Table 5 Pod to check it out. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Table 5. I hope you enjoyed another episode. If you like what you're hearing, please remember to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. All right. Thanks, y'all.